to be true. We will see him and then we will be like him. And everyone who has this hope within him purifies himself from all unrighteousness. Well, we're moving towards that great and glorious day. Time, as we know it, is something of a parenthesis between there the fall and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a far more glorious day on the horizon. And uh, remarkably, before Jesus Christ actually appears on the scene, ministering at all in the Gospel of Luke, It's John the Baptist who points not towards his first ministry, but towards his return. So the text I have this morning is Luke chapter 3 and verse 17, where John the Baptist says of Jesus Christ, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable Fire. John the Baptist ministering, the crowds are coming to him and the crowds are thinking, is this the Messiah? And uh, John is well aware that they're thinking that. What a temptation uh, John faces to be proud and to uh, have an air of arrogance. But he resists that temptation and emphasises, no, it's not me. I am not the Messiah. Not me, it's him. It's the one who's to come It's Jesus. And the task of John the Baptist and my task and your task is a very simple one. To point away from ourselves and towards our Saviour. No glory to me, all glory to Jesus Christ. In those uh, wonderful words of Charles Wesley in the hymn, Jesus the name high over all. Tis all my business here below to cry, behold the Lamb. Now, I might do many things, but why am I still here? I'm only here for one purpose, and that is to be salt and light, uh, to minister to his glory, uh, to point towards the Saviour, to speak when I have the opportunity, but certainly to live the life. And when that function is over, he'll take me to be with him. So it's not me, says John the Baptist, it's him. It is Jesus Christ. Who is he? Well, John says, I tell you, he's mightier than I am. I'm not even worthy to do the most menial task. I mean, what an awesome thing to be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not worthy to do anything for him, but he graciously uses you and me. What is Jesus going to do? Well, John the Baptist points towards his real work. John says, well, look, all I'm doing is baptizing people. It's an outward picture of the reality of what Jesus Christ will do. He's going to wash you clean of your sin. I can only give you an external washing. I can only give you a picture of dying to your old life and rising to new life. But what Jesus Christ will do is real. He will baptise you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to apply the merits of what I will do to your lives. Jesus will live a perfect life for us. God will not lower the standard of knowing him. God will not lower the standard for attaining heaven. 
We could never attain such a standard. So Jesus comes and lives that standard for us. He keeps the law of God in all its detail. He keeps it with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. And he does it for you. He does it for me because we are entirely unable to do it. And then Jesus will die the death that we deserve. On the cross of Calvary, it's Jesus who will stand condemned in my place. He will take the wrath of a holy God that was due on me. It fell on him. And it's Jesus who will rise again from the dead, victorious over sin, death and hell. And he will open the gates of heaven. And it's the Holy Spirit who beckons us in and urges us to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why did Jesus ever come? Uh, why did he live and die and rise again? Why? What is it all about? Well, we come to it here in verse 17. This is the point of it all. There is a day coming, a day of judgment, a day when Jesus Christ will return. Jesus Christ came the first time to die and to save us from our sin. He will come the second time to judge, to be the judge and to judge sin. And what is it all about? What is the gospel all about? It's all about preparing you and I for this great day that is still to come when Jesus Christ will return and judge the living and the dead. So here's our text again, and we'll slowly go through it. Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You see, John sees and understands the point. What is the point of the gospel. There is a wrath to come. John understood that. Listen to his words. Here he is again in verse 7. He, John, said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 9, even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And here again, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, John the Baptist understood the point. The question is, do you and do I? If we're Christians, do we understand the urgency of what we're about, why, why we're here? It is all my business here below to cry, behold the Lamb. If you're not yet converted, do you? Well, clearly you don't yet. And I pray that this morning as you listen at home or we're listening here in the chapel, whatever age we might, we might be, the Holy Spirit might bring us to our senses. We might know that touch from on 
high, to see clearly that Jesus Christ is not an optional extra. Jesus Christ is not a lifestyle choice. Jesus Christ, says John the, says John the Baptist, is mightier than I. How much mightier than John the Baptist? Well, he's already said, I'm not worthy to untie the latch of his sandals. But here he cuts to the chase. Jesus Christ is the judge of all mankind. And you either meet him here and now in time on planet Earth as your saviour, or you will meet him one day as your judge. Now, just two simple things from uh, verse 17 of uh, Luke chapter 3. First of all, I want to explain the picture that's being given to us, because actually Jesus Christ doesn't have a winnowing fork, and you are not uh, either wheat or chaff, and there isn't really uh, a literal threshing floor. There's a picture being given here, an illustration. So we'll look at that, and then we'll look at the reality behind the picture. So first of all, uh, John the Baptist is inspired to give a picture, an illustration, and it's an agricultural illustration. It's relating to something that people would be very familiar with 2,000 years ago. Uh, it was an agricultural society, and still today, obviously, we rely heavily on this planet for agriculture. We might not see a great deal of it, but we see the end product. We can go to all the supermarkets still and get the goods off the shelves, but they rely on agriculture and the picture being portrayed here. So the seed is sown into the field and the sun shines and the rain comes and uh, the wheat begins to, to grow and the sun ripens the, the grain and then comes the harvest in the late summer and the early autumn. And uh, we have combined harvesters, but they had people going out with the, the, the sickle and uh, it was laid into the, the wheat. And the wheat then is taken on carts and uh, loaded off onto what's called the, the threshing floor, where the, uh, the stalks are separated from the wheat by shaking the stalks and then the stalks go into the barn, and that's the hay, and it's fodder. But then you've got the grain. But here's the problem. The grain, which is good, uh, is mixed with uh, a little covering called the chaff. Now, the chaff is inedible. Fortunately, gloriously, providentially, it's quite loosely attached to the wheat. So next comes, there's a grain on the threshing floor, and the, uh, the farmer 2,000 years ago would have gone to the threshing floor with his winnowing fork. And uh, he would rely on a breezy day. And there's this great pile of wheat. What he wants is the wheat grain. He doesn't want the chaff. Uh, the chaff is indigestible. And so he takes his winnowing fork. He goes to the pile of wheat and there it is. It's wheat and it's chaff. Uh, he digs the winnowing fork in and he throws it in the air and uh, the breeze is coming and the grain falls straight back down. It's got weight, but the chaff that's loosely attached to it is taken by the breeze and goes a few 
Well, it would be maybe, I don't know what length they had then, but uh, I'd say yards, you might say meters, children, and it falls on the floor. And he keeps on doing that, throwing the wheat in the air, and the wheat falls back down, and the chaff is blown away. And after a day's winnowing on the winnowing floor, he finds that he has pure grain on the threshing floor, and that's gathered into the barn, and then he has a pile of chaff. The chaff is useless. The farmer only does one thing with it. Uh, he takes it away and it is burned and it is consumed. Now, interestingly, I've lived uh, at Pildee Farmhouse for it's 20 years this May. <clears throat> and uh, many of you have been to our home and you sat in our barn. Now, our barn is, was an agricultural barn. And you know the two big doors at either side? Well, come the harvest, you've often sat on what is known as the winnowing floor. Between the doors is the winnowing floor. And the doors would have been opened to allow a breeze to come through the barn. And the farmer, having collected his uh, wheat, would have the grain on the winnowing floor. You've sat on the winnowing floor. And the farmer would have come in years gone by and thrown the grain up into the air. And the grain would have come back down and the chaff would have blown out of the door in the flow of the breeze. So how often have you sat on the winnowing floor? That's the picture. And John the Baptist is pointing towards the great reality, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, he came the first time to usher in the reality of the gospel. By ourselves, we are helpless, hopeless sinners under the just right wrath of a holy God. But Jesus Christ came into the world to deal with our most fundamental problem. We have many issues that trouble us day in and day out. But our gravest issue, the most pressing issue, you see, eventually, you won't have to worry about a gas bill or physical health problems or a relationship here on planet Earth. But you will always be confronted with sin unless it's dealt with. Sin has eternal consequences and Jesus Christ came the first time to take away the sins of the world and again let me repeat it he did it by living that perfect life for you he kept the law of God he did it for you this is how much he loves us it's a love that comes from eternity past it grabs us here in time and it will if we uh, if we grab hold of that eternal love take us safely on that day to an eternity future we're made for better things than this you might be well aware there must be more to life than this there is this really isn't life life is knowing god through the lord jesus christ and he came and lived and died and rose again that i might be forgiven I need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ here and now. I need to repent of what I am and what I do and hang on to Jesus Christ. But the great reality is, he came the first time 
so that I might escape the wrath to come. Because he will come a second time to judge the living and the dead. And that's what John the Baptist is speaking about here. Remarkably, before he ever goes on to point to Jesus in his gospel work, he points towards the reason why that gospel work is essential, that Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. And in the Bible, here it is, copy of the Bible, 66 books, about 65,000 verses. In those 65,000 verses, the most prominent subject is not the gospel, but the judgment. And the reason why we need the gospel is because there is a day that all creation is waiting for. There is a day when the wrath of God will be fully revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and sin. And unless I responded to his first coming on that day, I have no hope. I am chaff. But there's the chance, the opportunity, by the great providence and love and mercy and grace of God to come to Christ and to be safe and to know that I'm safe when that certain day comes. 2,000 references to the return of Jesus Christ in the Bible. On average, if you're good at maths, that's one in every 30 verses on average speak about this great theme. It is the major focus of the Bible. Why? Because this is what it is all about. Time is so brief. And whatever we're going through, it's going to come to a conclusion. And Christians, hang, hang on to that. Whatever we're going through now, and I know some of you are going through times of real difficulty and uh, terrible illnesses, but it is brief. So as this song encouraged us, so lift your eyes. Now we need to do that constantly. The problem is why we're so ineffective. We take our eyes off the ultimate realities. We're so distracted by the things of this world. So lift your eyes to the things as yet unseen that will remain now for all eternity. Though trouble's hard, it's only momentary. Romans chapter 8. And it's achieving our future glory. Eternity, eternity, that's what it's all about. And the final harvest is that great ultimate reality. It is the only major prophecy left in the Bible to be fulfilled. We'll think more uh, about prophetic uh, issues this evening. We're entering Romans chapter uh, 11 and moving towards that uh, remarkable verse, Romans 11 and verse 26, but pointing towards that. Here we have this great, great issue, the return of Jesus Christ and the judging of all mankind. And when he comes, the great general resurrection, read Rome, uh, Matthew 25, when he comes, 
with his angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne and all nations will be gathered before him. Now, everybody is going to rise from the dead. The Bible's very clear about that. It's not just the righteous who rise, but the unrighteous as well. It's hard to imagine such a scene. But there's Jesus Christ on his throne of heavenly judgment and all nations, a vast crowd. Now, there's maybe 15 billion People lived and, and died in the past and seven billion people are alive right now. A vast crowd will be gathered before him. And uh, you'll be part of that great crowd. We're, we're going to be there. And uh, you'll see your family there as well. And you'll see famous people there from history and the present and politicians past and present and future the Lord tarries. A great, great crowd is there. But here's the point. Although it'll be a great crowd, it's going to be very, very personal to you. People sometimes say things like this. I was in a packed chapel. And many people were there, but it's as if the preacher were just preaching to me. Have you had that experience? It's going to be like that to the greatest extreme on this day of judgment. Oh, a vast crowd. But as far as you're concerned, you could be the only one there. Because despite the billions who will be there, the spotlight will be very much upon you. And on that day, there'll be this great separation. Matthew 25, we have the sheep uh, from the goats. Uh, here in Luke, we have the wheat from the chaff. And we have the words coming from the throne, come uh, you who are blessed to those on his right and uh, depart from me, you who are cursed to those on his left. And the question really is this, this morning as we come to a conclusion, which are you? Because you can know here and now. You can know here and now. Which are you? Has the work of Jesus being applied to your soul. That's all that matters. Has the work of Jesus Christ first coming into the world been applied to your soul? i put it another way. Have you been born again? Jesus Christ who baptises with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Have you been born again? Have you got this new Life. Once you live for yourself, once you are in darkness, once you live just for this world, then something happened and uh, God gave you new life, regeneration, and you started to live now for God. Oh, not perfectly, certainly, but your disposition was fundamentally changed. My friends, has that happened to you? Well, I'm not so sure. How, how can I know? tell you how you can know because uh, new life displays itself new life cannot be hidden so the holy spirit starts to work in you and as well as having new life my friends you will see that you have a new lifestyle on the day of judgment it seems this crowd were shocked at what jesus will say from the throne come you who are blessed of my father I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. Uh, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Oh, they're amazed. When did we see you and know you and hear you and... Or what you did to one of the least of these children of mine, you did also to me. A Christian's life is changed. New life brings a new lifestyle. A new life shows itself. My friends, have you changed? Have you changed? Is it clear you're under new management? What do the world see in you and me? Now, little illustration known as your colleagues at work what do they know about you your friends at school what do they know about you in university what do they know about you your neighbors what do they know about you your family what do they know about you at the age of I think I was 13 when I fell in love with Burnley Football Club and uh, I think it's pretty obvious did you know I, I follow Burnley Football Club was it Something you, you knew about. Uh, I've got a Burnley scarf. If you come into my study, there's a framed picture of when they won uh, uh, the FA Cup. And uh, there's a, I've got a programme uh, there and a sign. I've got lots of... Pro- I, uh, Burnley. And they, they're playing later on uh, today. And uh, every time they take the field, I'm interested. I'm interested. And uh, they now speak about the, the result. And I'm up and down as to whatever the result might have been it was far worse when I was in my teenage years but now even now my mood is affected by whether they won or they lost or they drew and promotion and relegation but is that all people know about me is that the dominant thing if it is shame on me it ought to be crystal clear for tis all my business here below to cry behold the lamb Am I living for him? Every time he takes the field, am I keen to be there? Am I interested? And if you couldn't get in the chapel this morning, you're watching at home. But we're back on. And I'll tell you, it's Jesus Christ who'll take the field at five o'clock this afternoon. It's not me. And you cannot be indifferent. If you can be there, I'm sure you'd want to be there. Because you're interested in him. He is your Lord and your Saviour. And there's a day coming, that day of wrath, and you know you've been saved from that. And when he takes the field, you want to be there. And he'll take the field on Wednesday. I forgot to go through the announcements, but there's the, uh, the all-church prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. It's not just an all-church prayer meeting. Jesus takes the field. Uh, he's there with us. He's the one who speaks if we're there. There's going to be a new meeting on this, this Tuesday. Isn't the first one? What time is it? Quarter to eight. We're seeking a new pastor. So there's a new prayer meeting on Zoom once a month, first Tuesday of the month on Zoom. We're seeking a new pastor. Oh, it's just a prayer meeting. Jesus is taking uh, the field. And uh, then there'll be a men's breakfast uh, coming up, I think a week on Saturday. Uh, oh, it's just a me- Jesus is taking uh, the field. And as a Christian, I, I'm interested when he's there. Uh, I want to be there and uh, kids zoom club uh, 615 and uh, there'll be a ypf this week as well uh, a ypf at quarter two to eight and uh, it's not just me it's not just the kids not just the wife jesus taking the field ladies meetings men's meetings jesus and we're interested 
And as we listen to him, as he takes the field, so when we take the field, we, we can shine for him. Tis all my business here below. New life, new lifestyle. Oh, has he changed your life? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If not, trust him now. Repent and trust him now. Uh, if you are his, keep close to him. Stay humble. Live for him. Point to him. There is a day. So fix our eyes on him. Not on the things of this world. We have things to do, certainly. But our focus and our attention should all be taken up with him. Oh, what's it all about? There's a day coming. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear the threshing floor. And it's wheat or chaff. There's no in-betweens. Which are you? If you're not yet sure you're wheat, seek him. Find him. Know that your sins have been forgiven. If you are a Christian, let it shine. Let it be obvious. And where there are difficulties, pray that God the Spirit would change us to his glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for an all too brief time uh, in your word. We thank you for the message of the Bible that's clear and plain and true. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy that flows through these words. Pray you'd apply it to each of our hearts to the glory of your name. Amen.